Hello there, Shivangi. Hope you're ready to dive into today's news. Absolutely, and on this calm Sunday, we've got some intriguing stories lined up for you. Right, let's get into it. Our first story takes us into the realm of consumer technology, where a recent investigation by Consumer Reports has uncovered security flaws in popular doorbell cameras. These aren't just any doorbells. We're talking about devices sold by giants like Walmart and even carrying Amazon's Amazon's Choice badge. The implications? Well, they're quite concerning. I'm Desico, uh, I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. Welcome to Shivangi's News from PocketPod News. Moving on to our second headline. It's a trip back in time. Workers in the Gaza Strip have stumbled upon a Roman-era cemetery dating back 2,000 years. This discovery isn't just archaeological gold. It's a window into Gaza's rich past, with over 100 graves unearthed so far. But as urbanization accelerates, these treasures are at risk. And for our third story today, the CDC has updated its COVID-19 guidelines for schools and child care centers, saying goodbye to mandatory isolation periods and masking. But not so fast. This change doesn't mean uniformity across the board. States and districts are crafting their own mosaic of rules, leaving parents navigating through a labyrinth of policies. From uncovering historical treasures to adapting pandemic protocols, today's headlines touch on themes of security, discovery, and resilience. Stay with us as we delve deeper into these stories and what they mean for you. This message is brought to you by PocketPod. Say goodbye to one-size-fits-all podcasts and hello to a fully personalized listening experience with AI-crafted podcast made just for you. Head over to PocketPod.app to join the waitlist. In today's digital age, smart home devices like doorbell cameras offer convenience and security. But what happens when those very devices become a security risk? That's exactly what a recent Consumer Reports investigation has uncovered. Doorbell cameras manufactured by Eakin Group Lodid, sold under brand names Eakin and Tuck, have been found vulnerable to unauthorized access. This could potentially allow malicious actors to control these devices or view footage without consent. The findings prompted immediate actions from retailers like Temu and Walmart, with some removing the products from their platforms. However, Amazon's response to the situation has been notably absent, despite these cameras being awarded the Amazon's Choice badge. And it doesn't end there. The investigation also pointed out vulnerabilities through an app called iWit, operated by Eakin Group, making nearby doorbell cameras accessible by pairing them without proper authorization. With us today is PocketPod News Technology correspondent Alex Harmon to dive deeper into this story, the risks these vulnerabilities pose to consumers, the responses from major retailers, and what this means for the future of IoT device security. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. The situation uncovered by Consumer Reports is indeed troubling. They found that doorbell cameras produced by Ekin Group Lekheled, which are sold under the brands Ekin and Tuck on major online platforms like Amazon and Walmart, have serious security vulnerabilities. These flaws could potentially allow unauthorized individuals to gain control over the devices or view footage without the owner's consent. That sounds quite concerning, Alex. Can you elaborate on what specific vulnerabilities were found? Absolutely. The investigation revealed that these security issues could enable malicious actors to access live footage or still images captured by the cameras. Even more alarming is the possibility of these individuals locking out the original device owners, effectively hijacking their doorbell cameras. And how have retailers responded to these findings? 
In response to Consumer Reports' findings, Temu took swift action by removing Aiken-made doorbells from its platform. Similarly, Walmart responded by removing listings of the affected doorbell cameras sold by third-party sellers on its marketplace and even offered refunds to customers who purchased them. These actions demonstrate a proactive approach to consumer safety from some retailers. What about Amazon? Given their significant market presence, their response must be critical in this scenario. Interestingly, despite awarding the Eakin and Tuck doorbell cameras its Amazon's Choice badge, Amazon did not immediately respond to requests for comment regarding the security issues identified. This silence stands in stark contrast to other retailers' quick actions and raises questions about how platforms deal with potential risks associated with selling vulnerable devices. You mentioned an app called iWit in connection with this issue. Could you tell us more about that? Yes, researchers found a particularly concerning vulnerability associated with an app called AWIT operated by Eakin Group. This flaw could allow bad actors to exploit vulnerabilities by pairing nearby doorbell cameras with another device without proper authorization. It's a stark reminder of the security concerns that can arise with IoT devices and how easily they can be exploited if not properly secured. This brings up broader implications for e-commerce platforms selling these products. Precisely, Jonathan. Justin Brookman from Consumer Reports emphasized that there's a pressing need for major e-commerce platforms to improve their vetting processes for sellers and products. This situation underscores broader concerns about consumer safety in digital marketplaces where potentially unsafe products can be listed by third-party sellers without adequate oversight. It sounds like this investigation has shed light on significant consumer safety issues within digital marketplaces and IoT device security overall. Indeed, it has. Retailers like Timu and Walmart have taken steps towards addressing these concerns by removing affected products from their platforms. However, incidents like these highlight ongoing challenges in ensuring product safety and consumer protection as IoT devices become more common in our daily lives. It also emphasizes the need for better vetting processes by major e-commerce platforms to prevent similar incidents in the future. Thank you for providing such detailed insights into this issue, Alex. My pleasure, Jonathan. It's crucial we stay informed about these technological developments and their implications for consumer safety. In the Gaza Strip, an unexpected discovery has unearthed stories from 2,000 years ago. That's right. While working on an Egyptian-funded housing project near Jabalia, Palestinian workers stumbled upon what's now described as the largest Roman-era cemetery ever found in Gaza, revealing over 100 ancient graves. And among these discoveries, two rare lead sarcophagi, suggesting this might have been a resting place for social elites of that time. PocketPod News international politics correspondent Mallory Hessel joins us to delve deeper into this archaeological find and its significance amidst Gaza's complex landscape. Mallory? Absolutely, Jonathan. The discovery of these lead sarcophagi is indeed a testament to the area's rich history and the social complexities of that era. You see, lead sarcophagi are extremely rare in archaeological finds because of the expense and expertise involved in their creation. Their presence in Gaza hints at a population segment with significant wealth and status, potentially linked to Gaza's strategic position on ancient trade routes. That sounds fascinating, Mallory. Can you tell us more about how this discovery came to light? Of course. The site was unearthed quite unexpectedly last year by Palestinian workers who were laying the foundations for an Egyptian-funded housing project near Jabalia in the northern part of the Gaza Strip. 
What started as a routine construction project quickly turned into a significant archaeological excavation after they stumbled upon over 100 graves dating back around 2,000 years to the Roman era. With such an unexpected find, I imagine there was quite an effort to excavate and study these artifacts? Indeed there was. With assistance from French archaeology experts, crews excavated a 2,700-square-meter area, uncovering not just those remarkable lead sarcophagi, but over 100 graves. This find provides us with invaluable insights into the health conditions, cultural practices, and perhaps even some of the diseases that might have afflicted this ancient population. I'm curious about the overall significance of this cemetery within Gaza's historical context. This cemetery underscores Gaza's long-standing historical importance due to its geographical location on ancient trade routes connecting Asia and Africa. These trade routes contributed significantly to cultural exchanges and economic prosperity throughout history. The fact that this is considered the largest cemetery found in Gaza till date highlights not only its archaeological, but also its historical significance. It sounds like there are plenty of challenges when it comes to preserving such archaeological sites in Gaza? Absolutely. The situation in Gaza presents unique challenges for archaeology, from political instability due to Israeli occupation and Hamas's governance to rapid urban development, which often overlooks archaeological considerations. Despite these hurdles, there's a concerted effort from local archaeologists and international experts aiming to preserve this rich heritage. Looking ahead then, what does this mean for future archaeological research in Gaza? The skeletons found at this site are planned to be sent out of Gaza for advanced analysis before being returned here. This indicates not just ongoing research efforts, but also an understanding of the importance of preserving these artifacts for further study. There's a growing call among experts for dedicated oversight teams specifically focused on managing Gaza's archaeological heritage amidst its development needs, ensuring that its stories aren't lost in time, but rather shared with future generations. It's clear that despite challenges, discoveries like these offer a rare window into our past while emphasizing the need for preservation amidst modern-day issues. That was PocketPod News international politics correspondent Mallory Hessel. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. As we navigate the ongoing changes in the pandemic, the CDC has made another significant update to its COVID-19 guidelines. That's right. The new guidance particularly affects children, stating they can return to school once their symptoms improve and they are fever-free for 24 hours without medication, a notable shift from previous isolation mandates. But as these changes roll out, there's a notable variance in how states, school districts, and child care centers are responding. This inconsistency is causing confusion among parents and impacting many working families. And it doesn't stop there. Beyond the immediate logistical challenges, these shifts also raise concerns about the safety of vulnerable populations and hint at longer-term psychological impacts on students. To dive deeper into this complex topic, we're joined by PocketPod News political correspondent John Ralfoy. John, what can you tell us about the landscape of these new guidelines and their ripple effects across communities? Well, Jonathan, the CDC's updated COVID-19 guidelines for children mark a significant shift in how we're approaching the management of the virus, especially in educational settings. By allowing children to return to school when their symptoms improve and they are fever-free for 24 hours without medication, we're seeing a move towards normalcy. This is quite a departure from the previous mandates that required at least five days of isolation and masking. That sounds like a pretty substantial change. How are schools and child care centers adapting to these new guidelines? 
The adaptation process has been quite varied, Jonathan. While some schools and child care centers are closely following the CDC's recommendations, others are either adhering to local health authorities or implementing more stringent measures on their own. For example, parents like Gloria Cunningham from Boston find themselves navigating a confusing patchwork of policies that differ not just by state, but sometimes even within districts or individual child care providers. And what about responses at the state level? How are different states handling these changes? States have responded quite differently to these new guidelines. California and Oregon, for instance, have gone ahead of the CDC by rescinding isolation requirements altogether. Meanwhile, areas with stricter protocols still in place contrast sharply with this approach. This decentralized pandemic management highlights both the flexibility and the challenges of responding to COVID-19 across varied jurisdictions. It seems like these policy changes have direct implications on working parents as well. Absolutely, Jonathan. The fluctuating school and child care COVID-19 policies have had significant impacts on working parents who may need to miss work if their child cannot attend school or child care due to illness. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reported notable fluctuations in adults missing work due to child care problems during periods of virus surges. For instance, in October 2023, 104,000 adults missed work because of such issues. However, this number fell to 41,000 last month. There's also been some concern about how these relaxed guidelines could affect community health safety. Yes, that's right. Some communities are worried that relaxing COVID-19 rules might put vulnerable populations at greater risk. Evelyn Aleman's group of Latino and indigenous immigrant parents in Los Angeles County expressed panic over California removing isolation requirements back in January. It underscores the disparities in health access and outcomes among different communities. And beyond immediate policy impacts, there seems to be a psychological dimension for students as well? Definitely. Beyond just policy changes, there's an observable shift in student behavior post-pandemic restrictions lifting, like increased reclusiveness or decreased interest in social activities such as school dances. These psychological effects suggest that there might be long-term impacts on student social behavior beyond immediate health policy adjustments. It's clear then that while the CDC's updated guidelines aim at moving forward with managing COVID-19 among children, there's a complex web of implications, from variability across educational institutions and states impacting working families' daily lives to broader community concerns and psychological impacts on students themselves. Exactly, Jonathan. Navigating this evolving landscape requires careful consideration of both public health objectives and the diverse needs of communities across America. That was PocketPod News political correspondent John Ralfoy. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. And that's Shivangi's News for Sunday, March 3rd, 2024. I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. Thank you for listening, Shivangi. We hope you have a good day, and we will see you tomorrow. This podcast was created by PocketPod entirely with AI. If you'd like to learn more, head over to pocketpod.app.